welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. So, it is an exciting morning. I will admit there are tons of moving parts this morning, but we're going to go with the flow and trust that God is in all of these things. And I just want you to know that God is doing some amazing things in the life of this church. And for those of you who are visiting, I want you to know that um, you're always welcome here and that you can join in on this goodness. And those of you who call Carmel Perez home, I, I need to let you know that everything that you experience here this morning is a result of your faithfulness and the fact that you're part of this body. So every single person from the babies to the, to the oldest, lend their gifts to this church and make up this body together. And so everything that we do this morning is just a testament to how God works in our lives. In case you didn't know, we've got college graduations all around us. I had three parties last night already, um, and it's, it's got me a little bit nostalgic thinking about my high school years, which were nearly two decades ago, which is a long time, right? Some of the older people are like, what is he talking about? (laughs) Um, And I remember, because our seniors have been stressing this year, rightfully so, right? But my senior year was really easy because I only applied to one school and I got in early decision and I would like show up to class wearing all my gear, like from my college and all the other, it was a jerk move. And... um, (laughs) The, the anxiety was the junior year because that was the year that I was really deciding on where I wanted to apply. And so I had some mentors in my life that told me I should apply to a Christian school, and that hadn't really crossed my radar before. And so I looked into some liberal arts Christian schools, and Wheaton rose to the top in Illinois. And I got some literature from Wheaton, which I was really excited about, and I read through it, and it all looked awesome. And then they listed three things that they wanted all of their students to know. They wanted the students to know that there would be no drinking, which fine, I don't drink. And they said, there'll be no smoking, I don't smoke, that's easy. Then the third thing they listed was no social dancing. I was like, hey, listen, I like to dance sometimes. This is going to be an issue. It's like, it's not like to the Kevin Bacon and Footloose level, but like, I like to dance. It's not like a need, but I like to. I want to know that that option is available to me if the, if the time comes. And it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't have to dance, but I was like, this seems legalistic. I don't want to really be a part of this. And it's, it turns out that other people must have agreed with me because I think they stopped doing that um, soon thereafter, where they were like, okay, it's fine. You can socially dance. Um, and <laughs> when I was thinking back to that, it was like, is that really where Christians want to take a stand? Is that like the area that we really just want to put our foot down and be like, no dancing? Um, (laughs) And I understand throughout the history of our country and the church, like there's really well-intentioned people that wanted people's behavior to be congruent in line with the Bible. Like that's a natural thing to want from people. The issue is that not everyone in this country or in this world believes that the Bible is the word of God. And not everyone knows the gospel. 
And so what happens is you're starting to put the cart before the horse. And people were trying to, if you've ever lived in the South, this is still a very real reality, is like people were trying to act like Christians without actually being Christians. And many churches and individuals were preaching this gospel of sin management. And this, this is just a, a false teaching, um, and whether it was implicitly stated or explicitly stated, it, it basically said that our Christian faith was all about how we deal with sin. As a result, we were told that God wants us to practice self-control in order to minimize the amount of sinning we do, and God want us, wants us to manage our behavior in order to become more like Jesus. And I bet some of you in this room, that's the gospel that you kind of received. And I work with students, and that's, a lot of them are working from, from that. But the reality is, there is no gospel of sin management. There is only one true gospel, and that is the gospel of grace. Now, I want everyone to hear me. Repenting is absolutely an essential part of the Christian faith. But understanding the gospel of grace is the paramount thing. Tim Keller puts it like this. There's a great gulf between the understanding that God accepts us because of our efforts and the understanding that God accepts us because of what Jesus has done. Religion operates on the principle, I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. But the operating principle of the gospel is, I am accepted by God through what Christ has done, Therefore, I obey. There's an important order to all of this. Theologians called it the ordo salutis, which is just Latin for the order of salvation. And considering this morning is Confirmation Sunday, I thought it would be important for me to preach something that is fundamental to the Christian faith, that is essential to the Christian faith that we are trying to instill in our students, and there is nothing more essential than the gospel of grace. So let's open up a Bible together. You can open up a Bible or an app to Ephesians 2.1. It's on page 976 if you got a pew Bible. Now keep in mind this idea of the order of salvation as we read these 10 verses together. And I want you to consider who acts first, God or us. Let me pray as we turn. Lord, would you speak like only you can speak? Would you tune our ears to hear your voice clearly? Would you tune our hearts to experience what you have for us? May the words from my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Be glorified and magnified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Beginning in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in the first three verses, you've got Paul painting a rather bleak picture of humankind. And these three verses, if you go back and you read Romans 1 through 3, these basically summarize Romans 1 through 3. Our original state is spiritual death. And this isn't some sort of figurative saying. It really means that we're actually spiritually dead. That means that, that we have no responsiveness towards God. We have no ability to please God. And this, this isn't crazy for the Bible. This is passed on through the Old Testament. You've got the prophet Isaiah that says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. So basically, the gist is we are helpless. We are enslaved to sin, and we are held captive. Paul is telling us that that humans are broken and disobedient and selfish. But right after Paul rattles off the horrible state of affairs that we all find ourselves in, he says one of the most refreshing phrases in all of Scripture. He says, but God. When God intervenes, you know something good is about to happen. And so listen to what Paul says. He's just told us that we're children of wrath, and then he says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We are dead. Dead people can't do anything. But God stepped in and he breathed life into us and made us alive in Jesus. And twice in four verses, Paul hammers home the point that it is by grace alone that you have been saved. And that's the gospel. That's what we proclaim here. But why does understanding this order matter so much? So if we look back at verses 8 through 10, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're not saved because of good works, but instead we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And even these good works were actually prepared for us by God. So salvation is not based on anything that we do, but instead the good things that we do are actually a result and a consequence of God's action and movement in our lives. So I asked you about this order of salvation, and here's the quiz. Who acts first, us or God? Thank you. That's the right answer. So you got a little bit of the, the, the systematic theology. And now I want to give you a little bit of the practical theology of this. And I'll make this first part about me. I'll use myself as an illustration, although I'm sure some of you struggle with the same thing, or it applies to you at least, is I was raised to work hard. Not that that's a struggle. I was taught all my life to use my talents and gifts in order to try to succeed. I was told to be self-disciplined. I was told to buck up when something um, bad happened to me. 
um, I was told that I could do anything that I put my mind to. And when I did achieve something, I would feel proud. But when I failed, I would blame myself or I would blame others. And then I became a Christian. And I still tried really hard because I wanted to deserve my salvation. And when I succeeded, then I would feel proud. This is the danger that Paul is trying to warn, that we would not boast. I, I was a self-righteous little punk. Like, you wouldn't have wanted to be friends with me. But then I started to read scripture like this, and it started to impact my heart and penetrate my heart. And I realized that anything that I do that is good is only because God is working through me. Anything that I do that is good. But on the other hand, you've got some people who would love to earn their faith, and their struggle isn't with pride. Their, their concern is they feel like they're not good enough, that they can't measure up. And so I want to give you a very real example and a very recent example from this past Wednesday night. Amanda had a young lady approach her at youth group. Her name's Lindsay, and Lindsay's awesome. And she had approached Amanda two weeks ago as well, but this time was different. Um, I just shared the story of this guy named um, Robert Smith. Maybe some of you heard it at Morehouse College. He gives this commencement speech, right? So we've all been to those types of things. But he does something a little bit different at the end of his commencement speech. He tells the 396 guys, and it's a, it's a male college, he tells the 396 guys there that he is going to create a grant with his family to pay off all of their student loan debt. And so you can imagine, it's just like an eruption of uh, this guy's just giving us money and they're just celebrating and blown away by his gratitude. And so after Lindsay and Amanda spoke for a while, they, they approached me after youth group, and I could see that God was up to something on Lindsay's face. And I asked her if she could try to verbalize it for me. Now, you have to understand, is Lindsay here? I don't want to, okay. Um, it would be fine if she was. Don't worry, I'm not going to say something bad. Um, <laughs> So Lindsay started coming to youth group last August. This is her first exposure, really, to the church. And so she doesn't really have a background in this stuff. And so she approached us, and I, I tried to get her to verbalize it. And she basically said, I don't know what's going on, but Jesus is pursuing me right now. And we're like, awesome, let's do this. Like, you just have to receive what he's doing right now. And she's, her concern was she felt like she wasn't ready yet. She felt like she wasn't good enough. But I reminded her of that story, that guy who just gave the money to all of those graduates. They didn't do anything. He just gave it to them. All they had to do was say, here's how much I owe. Thank you, sir. In the same way, we cannot do anything to earn our salvation. All you have to do is receive it. And praise be to God that Amanda and I got to pray with that young lady as she surrendered her life to Jesus on Wednesday night. And when she lifted her eyes up and her entire countenance and disposition were changed, she said to us, first, that she feels relieved. 
And the second thing that she said was, I feel like for the first time in my life, there's an open line of communication to God. And that is the gift of grace. It is free. The gospel of sin management is a lie. There is no managing our sins. Trust me, I've tried. It does not work. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. And so this passage ends with uh, Paul saying that we are God's um, workmanship. And that Greek word there is poema. This is where we get our word poem or poetry from. And I want, so you start off with this just horribly grim picture where we're called dead people who are children of wrath. And then you end this passage with saying, you are God's poema, his divine poetry, his masterpiece because of what Jesus has done. And so we've got, we've been blessed with lots of world-class artists that go to our church. And, and we know in this area of the world that art has this immense value to it, that it moves us, it has meaning to it. And what happens when you start walking through all the galleries downtown and something catches your eye, you'll stop, you'll look at it, you'll let it impact you, but I'm willing to bet that every single one of you gets to the point where you ask the question, who painted this? In the same way, let us live our lives as God's workmanship that when people see us, they ask that question of us. Who created you? Who painted you? Who put you together? And our lives will point to our master and creator, Jesus Christ. And so we're celebrating quite a few things this morning. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with confirmation, let me just explain it really quickly. Um, a lot of us, myself included, were baptized as infants, right? Some of you are probably in this room as well. And so what we do is we offer a confirmation class to those students who are baptized as infants in order to confirm their faith for themselves, to claim it as their own. And we believe that God works through the covenant family to, in a really mysterious and awesome way, to draw people to himself. And he, foreknew, he knew that these students would, would claim the faith for themselves. And so we'll confirm, we'll confirm them. But then God wanted to do something. He wanted to um, show off a little bit. And so he flexed, as sometimes God does. And so instead of just being confirmation today, um, Jesus decided that he wanted uh, six people to come to Saving Faith and get baptized today as well. So we're going to do that after this service. But before we introduce all that, I thought it'd be awesome if um, we, we finished reading this chapter together in God's Word. Because I really, I, I think it's this beautiful chapter in Scripture that talks about where we've come from, who we are because of Jesus, and then who we are as believers in Jesus. And so we're going we're gonna to read Ephesians 2, verse 11 through the end together, and that's how we'll end. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray into that. Jesus, we declare now that you are in fact the cornerstone of this church. We pray that this church would be built upon you and that this whole structure would be joined together and that it would grow into a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus, help us all to know that you offer the gift of grace freely. We can't do anything to deserve it. That you offered freely, simply out of a gesture of your love. God, for those of us who have not received it, I pray now that you would work, that you would, you would just tell them it's okay. Just say yes. Father, we thank you for your graciousness. We thank you for your mercies. May we remember them every single day. And we, may we respond by acting appropriately and with gratitude. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.